0: Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host,
1: Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you by at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company, and I hope you'll visit the website and give them a call. It's johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have a day including special guest William Yateman, research fellow at the Cato Institute. We'll visit with uh, Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture and author of several books. His latest, Beyond Flagpoles and Footprints, Pioneering the Space Frontier, We'll be talking about his latest column in Newsmax about border disinformation. And finally, Michael Cannon will be joining us. He is the Director of Health Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. It is May the 6th and on this day in 1994, in a ceremony presided over by England's Queen Elizabeth II and French President Marco Mitterand, Franç- I should say Francois Mitterand, a rail tunnel under the English Channel was officially opened connecting Britain and Europe Uh, and the mainland for the first time since the Ice Age. The Channel Tunnel, or Chunnel, uh, connected England and France 31 miles away. The Chunnel uh, cut travel time between England and France to a swift 35 minutes and eventually between London and Paris to two and a half hours. As the world's longest undersea tunnel, the Chunnel runs underwater for 23 miles with an average depth of 150 feet below the seabed. Each day, about 30,000 people, 6,000 cars, and 3,500 trucks journey through the tunnel on passenger shuttle, and freight trains. Millions of tons of earth were moved to build the two rail tunnels, one of the northbound and one for southbound uh, traffic, and one tunnel service for service. 15,000 people were employed at the peak of construction. Ten people were killed during construction. Napoleon's engineer uh, planned the first tunnel. Under the English Channel in 1802, envisioning an underground passage with ventilation chimneys that would stretch above the waves. In 1880, the first real attempt was made by Colonel Beaumont, who bore a tunnel uh, more than a mile long before abandoning the project. Other efforts followed in the 20th century, but none on the scale of the tunnels between in June 1988. The tunnel's $16 billion cost was tw- uh, roughly twice the original estimate, and completion was a year behind schedule. One year into service, Eurotunnel announced a huge loss, one of the biggest in the United Kingdom's corporate history at the time, a scheme in which banks agreed to swap billions of pounds worth of loans for shares, saved the tunnel from going under, and it showed its first net profit in 1999. Freight traffic was suspended for six months after a fire broke out on a lorry in the tunnel in November 1996. Nobody was seriously hurt in the incident. In 1996... Society of Civil Engineers identified the tunnel as one of the seven wonders of the world. Amazing feat. Paris, two and a half hours away from London because of the tunnel. Well, we have to start off by mentioning the U.S. stock market got creamed yesterday. It sank Thursday and a U-turn from Wednesday's rally went up at 932 points the day before. As Wall Street traders are uncertain about the Federal Reserve's latest interest rate increase, The Dow Jones, one day after experiencing its best percentage gain since November 20, 2020, fell by more than 1,000 points. The rest of the market uh, got clobbered as well. The NASDAQ fell nearly 5%. The S&P fell by 3.56%. The market tumble comes after the Federal Reserve announced Wednesday that its interest rates will be raised by half a percentage point for the first time since 2000. The move made uh, made an effort to slow the worst inflation in four decades. Uh, Pretty amazing stuff. Right now, uh, futures are down about 100. I'm talking about the Dow. So uh, who knows what the day will bring with all the volatility that we've seen. Senator uh, Rand Paul, he, of course, is a former Republican candidate for president and also a Republican uh, senator from Kentucky, a fierce protector, protector, Of Freedom and Privacy says it's time to ban federal agencies from being able to track Americans' behavior by buying their cell phone data from commercial vendors. When the government is trying to snoop on you and your behavior, it's wrong and there should be laws against it, Paul said in an exclusive interview. Paul's comments came after newly released government documents revealed, get this, that the Center for Disease Control and Prevention tracked Americans' compliance with pandemic lockdowns by buying and monitoring their cell phone geospatial data from commercial vendors. So they were tracking us. Such data is collected on each American from they use on their smartphones and sold by third-party brokers unless a user explicitly opts out of such collection for each app. That sounds like a good idea is to opt out. Increasingly, law enforcement and other government agencies have been acquiring the data for official work, though the CDC was the first publicly disclosed use of track to track private American health behavior. The data also was brought and used by the election integrity group, True to the Vote, to identify people suspected of illegally collecting ballots in the twenty twenty Georgia election, a revelation that has prompted a formal investigation by Georgia Secretary of State's office. The Kentucky senator, Rand Paul, dismissed defenses that some government agencies have made it to practice uh, it is okay because the data is commercially available and merely tracks locations of Americans without intercepting the contents of the communications. This goes way back to Edward Snowden when he was the whistleblower and revealed that the government was collecting not just a little bit of our data, but mostly all of our data, pa- Paul said. They now kind of justify it, and they say, oh, it's not your conversation. We're really just spying on you. No, we're not spying on your conversations. It's your metadata, Paul said. But interestingly, when people look at it, the researchers have determined they can tell more about you from your metadata than from your conversations. So if they want to know how long you talk to people or who you talk to, so for example, the metadata includes your doctors, and I can look at your phone calls and how long you talk to them, and I can also tell what uh, a lot of your medical diseases are if i can tell maybe if you have something that you don't want people to know or the public to know a certain doctor that you see by looking at your visa bill i can see well what your medications are i can see what you read so i don't actually have to hear your conversation there are researchers that looked at the metadata that said that people could tell over 80% of the time what religion people were so you can evade the religious sphere their medical sphere their health sphere and their reading habits, Paul said, <clears throat> pretty shocking. Paul said he supports legislation that would ban the purchase of such data to track Americans or their behavior, absent a court-approved warrant. It's a terrible thing to do, and the government should not be allowed this to be done. He said, now some sort of set people, some set uh, people say, well, it's just an open market; it's free market things. Well, the government does it when the government does it, and when the government is trying to snoop on your behavior, it's wrong. And there should be law, a law against it. Very important. I think this is just a really critical story that we're all aware that the government is using this metadata in order to track us and understand our behavior. We created the government. The government is not our boss. We are the boss of the government. And it is we need to protect our freedoms. Thank you, Senator Paul, for, for this effort. Well, the Food and Drug Administration announced yesterday that it will restrict the use of Johnson & Johnson COVID-19 vaccine to adults who can't receive mRNA vaccines because of the risk of potentially life-threatening side effects with the Johnson & Johnson shot. The agency said the COVID-19 vaccine can now only be administered to people ages 18 years of and older who can receive either a Moderna who can't receive Moderna or Pfizer vaccines. Both of which use two dose vaccines and use mRNA technology. J&J's single shot vaccine uses uh, a different technology. People 18 and over can, who want to receive the JJ vaccine because they would otherwise not receive a COVID vaccine can also get it, according to FDA's statement. The agency didn't elaborate. Now, why people would want to take the vaccine with these types of health risks, I have no idea. Makes no sense to me whatsoever. But that's uh, just me, of course. Over the past several months, the FDA and other federal agencies have increasingly recommended the Americans get either the Moderna or, F- or Pfizer vaccines over the JJ vaccine. In December, for example, the Center for Disease Control and Prevention issued a recommendation that prioritized these vaccines over JJ. FDA officials, FDA officials said in a statement that made the decision to restrict J&J's vaccine after reevaluating the data on risk of life-threatening blood clots that may occur within two weeks of vaccination. We recognize that the Janssen COVID-19 vaccine still has a role in the current pandemic response in the United States and the global community, said Peter Marks, director of FDA's Center for Biologics Evaluation and Research. Our action reflects our updated analysis of the risks of TTS following administration of this vaccine and limits the use of the vaccine to certain individuals. That refers to thrombosis, thrombocytopenia uh, syndrome, I'm sure I mispronounced that, and a rare form of blood clotting. Now, I mean, these risks are way up, uh, and uh, the agency will continue to monitor the safety of the Janssen COVID-19 vaccine And other vaccines, they said, well, how about this? COVID-19 vaccine was significantly associated with a 25% jump in emergency medical service, or EMS, for heart problems in 16 to 39-year-olds in Israel, whose vaccination rate is among the world's highest, according to a peer-reviewed study by MIT researchers. Repeat that. Uh, significantly, the vaccinations significantly associated with a 25% jump in emergency medical services for heart problems. That, according to MIT researchers, published last week in the Nature Journal Scientific Reports, the study found no association with COVID infections, however. While not establishing causal relationships, the findings raise concerns regarding vaccine-induced undetected severe cardiovascular side effects and underscore the already established causal relationships between vaccines and myocarditis, a frequent cause of unexpected cardiac arrest in young individuals. I mean, you hear about these soccer players, people who have died, had negative reactions to it. The research also adds more fuel to the legal and grassroots campaigns against compelled vaccination. An Italian administrative court deemed a vaccine mandate on nursing students unconstitutional, citing nearly 10,000 reported deaths from the various COVID vaccines in the European Medical Agency's monitoring system. Can you believe that? Published in late March, the 53-page ruling only drew attention to the U.S. last week when an anti-vaccine mandate group translated a portion uh, uh the just the news ran uh, the ruling through the Google Translate, which said in part the report death counted exceeds the normal and therefore tolerable risk permitted under vaccine mandates. So more people were dying than is permitted. And there certain are risks, but uh, are these risks being disclosed to Americans who are taking these shots? An American airline pilot, Robert Snow, blamed his cardiac arrest six minutes after landing a 200-passenger flight April the 9th on his compelled vaccination in November. I will probably never fly again due to FAA health criteria for pilots, he said in a video from an ICU in Dallas. This is the actual result of a vaccine for some of us. He took the jab. And now uh, he was a pilot, fortunately he landed the plane before this uh, medical event, and now he's not going to be a pilot anymore. So are, we, are these types of things being disclosed to people who are taking, remember, this is an emergency use vaccine, and we don't really don't understand all the risks involved. Some people are having events within a week or two weeks after, but you know, some of these things can be delayed for years. Really a major concern. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, William Yateman, research fellow at the Cato Institute. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Or of the Bob Harden Show. Here on the Bob Hardin Broadcasting Network.
1: I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulab's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly staff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week week. Bee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Forty-five,
0: forty-one. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social. Choice Social is a new, refreshing social networking platform. And you can find out more and download the app by visiting the website, choicesocial.us. Coming up, I'm going to visit with Professor Larry Bell. Right now we have with us William Yatman. William is a research fellow at the Cato Institute. William, thank you so much for joining us.
2: Thank you so much for having me on, Bob.
1: Always a pleasure. William, tell us about the Cato Institute.
2: You bet. We're a think tank here in Washington, D.C., and we're dedicated to advancing the ideals of freedom at every level of government.
1: Cato.org is the website, C-A-T-O.org. Well, so much going on on Capitol Hill right now, and I guess the big news is, of course, the leak of uh, the, uh, Alito's decision. Uh, his, uh, uh, I guess, a draft of a decision. It wasn't finalized by the Supreme Court, and uh, and the reaction has just been unbelievable. We'd love to get your comments.
2: Indeed, certainly that has been the big news in this city this week. It dominated the headlines. Um, and I uh, want to emphasize something you said. It's a draft opinion. This uh, one that was penned by Alito, written in February, um, was the subject of the leak. So uh, a lot can occur. I mean, and that is to say uh, we shouldn't. Uh, it's difficult to overstate that, that it still is preliminary and that this might change. Mm-hmm. Um, nevertheless, it has exploded heads <laughs> um, uh, throughout this city. Um, uh, most immediately, in the court itself. I mean, Chief Justice Roberts was seething, um, and this week uh, ordered an investigation into the source of the leaks. Um, what, one? Which I I'm doubtless will we'll get to the bottom of this. Um, in Congress, with Schumer's uh, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, uh, his immediate reaction was to schedule a vote next week um, to codify Roe v. Wade. Now, this is pretty silly. Because they, the Senate took this exact same vote two months ago, mm-hmm. and he didn't have the votes in his caucus. Um, the, the fact is, West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin calls himself a pro-life Democrat. So um, Schumer's, I guess, scheduling a, a symbolic vote that he knows he's going to lose, and which will, uh, I'll add, and this is something I've discussed before, put his more moderate members in a difficult position, um, make them take another difficult vote which is something, uh, again, I noted this before, that uh, McConnell never did when he was in charge, when mm-hmm. he was Senate majority leader. Um, the Biden administration, they, not much he can do. I mean, at this point, he's been, uh, they've certainly been the, on the offensive rhetorically, um, and I guess they're hopeful that this will prove to be a big wedge issue, a big turnout issue in the upcoming midterm elections. Um, but I'll note on that recent polling by, it was Politico where I saw it this morning, that asked voters to uh, to rank their issues of priority. Um, and evidently this came a fifth out of seven that, that of uh, this matter of abortion. So one wonders whether that's going to resonate at the polls. Um, but it, it certainly has dominated the headlines, and um, I guess that's the long and short of it.
1: Yeah, that's the long and short of it. However, I mean, I think this is a, the Hail Mary and right now, things are going so poorly for this administration that, uh, to me, somebody in the Supreme Court, a, ju- a clerk, someone, has thrown, their, <laughs> thrown themselves on their own sword in order to—they're making a personal sacrifice for the, for the team, right? I mean, this is exactly what's—because this person's going to be disbarred, right, at a minimum
2: where well, depends on who did it i mean surely it could have been one of the 36 clerks that work at the supreme court and that each justice has four clerks that, that you know do a lot of these opinion drafting
1: mm-hmm. but it could
2: have been someone in the printers office i mean there, i think there was uh, 200 odd people that would have had access ah. um to this document so the jury's still out i will take issue with your you know lightly so and respectfully so with your just calling it a principal relief um, the fact is, if the person had put their name to it, that would have been principled. I mean, if they'd stepped up to the plate and accepted the consequences of their action, I would have been very impressed by that, um, uh, you know, because that would have been principled. Um, you know, not impressed necessarily in a good way or another way, but it, it would have been a more honorable way to act. Yeah. Um, but by doing this anonymously... Um, but not terribly impressive in my eyes.
1: Well, and, and I, I guess uh, thanks for correcting me on that because that's certainly not what I intended to say. I don't think it's principled at all. In fact, it's cowardly in my opinion, and it's a political ploy. It's simply a, a way to try and to support the political agenda of to divert attention away, change the scent away from uh, inflation, the border issues, all of the things that are going on right now, hoping to be able to get uh, people to rally around Roe v. Wade.
2: That, I mean, I can't, and again, I'm loath. abortion is an issue I cover, and I recognize it's a sticky wicket, but I can't argue with whatever their purpose was, it does seem to have been to rile people up. And again, I'm not saying it was from one side or another, but um, it does seem as though agitation was the goal, and that is you know, that's terrible. That's just an awful, selfish act. And, you know, you hate to see
1: it. Absolutely. So um, we, now that we've got the uh, Alejandro Mayorkas has proposed this different Department of Homeland Security, which, by the way, is the largest uh, security organization in the United States, right? I mean, And so he's decided to form this uh, disinformation board. Holy moly. And uh, he is he is the source of most of the disinformation that's going on right now in these Senate hearings. What are your thoughts?
2: Well, I would say this. You're the, uh, so we've got this Department of Homeland Security and uh, proposing a disinformation governance board. Um, and these terms are straight out of Orwell. I'm certainly not the first person to have noted that. I would say the big story here is that the Biden administration thought this was a political winner. I mean, this was something that Mayorkas crowed about in his uh, congressional testimony a week ago. They thought this was going to be something that that people thought was a great idea and rallied around. And and, uh, to the contrary, they were immediately lampooned, and not just by right-of-center folks. I mean, this caught a lot of flack for the left as well for just being sort of Orwellian and and ridiculous-sounding. So, um, yes, the, the idea, the intent here, it sounds despicable. Or William enough, but it also impresses upon me sort of uh, the, uh, the, not stupidity is too strong a word, but it it took some backwards thinking for them to somehow imagine that this would have not gone over like a lead balloon.
1: Well, not only, it's almost a parody, isn't it? I mean, because of this, yes. w- this woman that they wanted to, know, to appoint to the position. They've got so much video on the things that she said, which are strictly disinformation. So, I mean, talk about putting somebody in charge who's totally unqualified for the position. Pretty unbelievable.
2: Unbelievable indeed. And and yes, that they thought, this was a good idea. And I'll note, yes, you, you bring up a great point about this, this Nina Jankiewicz, who they had tapped ahead this um evidently she was leading the charge to to have all sorts of news organizations never mention never cite the, this uh Hunter Biden laptop yeah, issue yeah. which i'm not going to you know comment on the substance of that but i will say it was news and it was certainly reported by the new york post and and her role in that seemed to be to suppress legitimate information so it is uh, you know everything from a to z about this is is you know, fairly absurd
1: and ridiculous it, it is indeed before i let you go any comments about we're beginning to see gina mccarthy emerge again as another big player with the epa uh any thoughts about what's going on right now with regard to uh, uh fuel emissions and that type of thing
2: <laughs> sure you bet the administration just rolled out this is the epa and uh, the department of transportation jointly um, new uh, fuel economy requirements 49 miles per gallon um, by 2026, fleet wide. And I would just note the crazy thing here um, would be the cost benefit analysis. They say this is going to increase, and this is according to the agencies that are proposing this rule. Um, they say it'll increase the cost of cars by $1,100 and save over the lifetime of the cars, save consumers $1,300. I mean that's pretty close. Eleven hundred dollars <laughs> front to save over you know ten plus years, um, you know thirteen hundred dollars is uh, that doesn't sound like terribly good cost-benefit analysis. I wonder if that even keeps up with inflation. Well, so I say, um, uh, prepare listeners for having smaller cars. Yeah, cars.
1: I mean talk about uh, would they be safe? I mean, uh they going to be made out of balsa wood? <laughs>
2: <laughs> you raise uh, eminently reasonable um, questions, and that's actually an issue that the administration has dodged, because that was raised on the administrative record, the extent to which this will render our cars less safe.
1: Unbelievable. Again, William Yateman, Research Fellow at the uh, Cato Institute. Cato.org. C-A-T-O is the website. Cato.org. William, I always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Michael Cannon. Michael is the uh, Director of Health Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. We'll do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
1: I plan to continue my treatments to enhance my sense of well-being. Don't suffer needlessly with discomfort and pain. Improve your quality of life. See for yourself and make an appointment by visiting the website iamdesigntoheal.com. That's iamdesigntoheal.com. Or you can call or text Dr. Alec at 239-322-3817. That's 322-3817. Visit iamdesigntoheal.com for an amazing, one-of-a-kind, restorative experience
0: Bob
1: Hartman. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse. Golf Shore Playhouse is bringing you professional New York style theater at its very best. Right now, another revolution is running. I hear it's just terrific. You can visit the website and get tickets, golfshoreplayhouse.org. We have with us Michael Cannon. Michael is the Director of Health Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. Michael, thank you so much for joining us.
3: Great to be here, Bob.
1: So, Michael, uh, Roe v. Wade is sucking all the air out of the news cycle right now and uh, what's happened with regard to the leak. But there's some medical uh, considerations about this and health considerations. I wonder if you've given this any thought.
3: Uh, So that is taking up a lot of uh, uh, the the, the airwaves, but no one really knows what's going to happen there. The element of this uh, of this debate that uh, is not getting enough attention is that the most important thing that we could do, uh, regardless of your views on abortion, whether you're pro-life or pro-choice, the most important everyone wants to reduce the number of unwanted pregnancies and abortions, and the most important thing that government can do to reduce unwanted pregnancies and abortions is to make birth control available over the counter. You can get daily use oral contraceptives without a prescription in more than 100 countries around the world, but you cannot in the United States because huh. the federal government imposes a prescription requirement on this safe and effective medication that women can use on their own and have been using safely and effectively for 60 years. There's no reason to keep this in place. And it blocked access to uh, contraceptives resulting in unnecessary unplanned pregnancies.
1: So uh, my issue with regard to uh, b- being pro-life is, uh, is that uh, just uh, I'm against murder at any stage or any phase of anybody's life, including uh, w- w- during the gestation period. So uh, my question has always been, when does life begin? And uh, the more we learn, it seems it's closer and closer to uh, conception. But the, this birth control, this whole notion, is that it actually prevents conception, Right.
3: It does, and that's why, you know, even people who are pro-life want to make, uh, many people who are pro-life want to make birth control available over the counter so that uh, we can reduce the the number of unplanned pregnancies. This should be an area of uh, broad agreement. Unfortunately, the leading bills in Congress, uh, both on the Republican and Democratic side, would not accomplish that. They really just sort of beg the FDA to give the issue consideration. Congress has the power to do this right now. President Joe Biden has the power to ask the FDA to do this right now. Uh, And that's what they should be doing. It would would restore, partly restore, the right of uh, women to make their own health decisions because they wouldn't need a permission slip from a government-appointed gatekeeper to purchase the medications that they need. And it would help to one of the most contentious, divisive issues well, in the
1: United States. There's no question that the uh, pharmaceutical uh, lobby is probably the strongest, among the strongest in the United States. Is the fact that it's a prescription drug right now to keep it more expensive and make it more profitable for the drug companies?
3: Well, it, 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 it does play a role. One thing that we found here at the Cato Institute is that when the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare, required uh, insurance companies to begin covering all forms of FDA-approved contraception. What happened to the prices of hormones and oral contraceptives is that that they skyrocketed. Mm. Drug manufacturers could charge more when an insurance company is paying than they can when the consumer is paying. Mm. And so if Congress or the FDA moved contraceptives to over-the-counter status, just removed the government requirements requirement that you have a prescription the manufacturers can still require it but if they just did that more manufacturers allowed consumers to purchase these drugs without a prescription the prices would likely plummet that is what has happened when the FDA has removed prescription requirements for uh drugs in the past drugs like claritin when they went uh uh off uh when the FDA removed that prescription requirement the prices fell uh anti harper medication same story and the same would happen with oral contraceptives, which would uh, bring them within the reach of more and more women, and uh, as I said, reduce the number of unplanned pregnancies.
1: Okay, so this brings me back to the point again. I would imagine the resistance comes from uh, the uh, pharmaceutical lobby, big uh, big pharma, uh, because they would like because that obviously would reduce their profits, wouldn't it?
3: It, uh, it would appear to do so, and oftentimes when uh, we at the Cato Institute advocate eliminating government-imposed prescription requirements, it is pharma that pushes back. Yeah. That happened when we had an event on Capitol Hill advocating making naloxone available without a prescription. This is a completely safe and effective drug that does nothing except for reverse uh, Opioid overdoses. It saves lives from opioid overdoses. We're in the middle of an opioid overdose epidemic, and yet you need a prescription. The FDA says you need a prescription to get this extremely safe, life-saving drug. When we had the events on Capitol Hill to advocate this idea, we were contacted by multiple lobbyists from the pharmaceutical companies hoping to press their, uh, the manufacturer of uh, the most common naloxone product, hoping to press their case that this should remain prescription only. You would think they would want it to be available over the counter so they could sell more of it. But the what's happening is they can charge much higher prices if it's prescription only because then insurance companies purchase it more often and they can get higher prices out of insurance. Companies.
1: This is just wrong, Michael. I mean, they're, they're supposed to be in the business of uh, providing health care and, and uh, services to people so that we can extend life and have a happier lives, pain free lives. But it seems like uh, the antithesis, it's the antithesis of, of uh, providing good health for us, these drug companies, are getting in the way.
3: One of the reasons that you, you don't want the government involved in healthcare care yeah. is because the people who provide medical care are going to have the most influence over the decisions the government makes, and they are going to bend those decisions in ways that favor them at the, at, and enrich them at the expense of patients and taxpayers. And this is a prime example. The fact that the government has the power to say you need a prescription from a government-appointed gatekeeper in order to access these medicines gives pharmaceutical companies the power to, uh, to, to raise prices and charge both consumers and taxpayers more at which reduces access to necessary medication.
1: This is, a, I didn't know where this conversation would end up, but this is just shocking information to me, uh, quite frankly, Michael. I'm just, it's just so appalling. What are the possibilities of passing legislation with to support your idea?
3: So both Republicans and Democrats in Congress pay lip service to the idea of making, um, oral contraceptives available over the counter uh, one in the hopes that this could be an area of bipartisan agreement uh, I'm, I'm sorry to report that uh, even though there's uh, uh, there are some folks on the left who are pushing this idea uh, some women's rights groups who are there are not there' are not as many people on the on the right who are advocating this idea uh, as as should be but it really serves uh, multiple goals of the conservative movement. One of them is to reduce government influence in our lives, let people make their own medical decisions, uh, but it would also reduce the number of unplanned pregnancies. In yeah.
1: Life. You know what? I think every time we have a vote on any kind of legislation, we should have some sort of a listing of the uh, contributions f- for the campaigns and the financial support from, from companies in that area of, uh, of uh, our, our lives. <laughs> I don't know. Somehow, some way you have to embarrass these people into doing the right thing. Michael Cannon, again, Research uh, Director of Health Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. C-A-T-O is the website. Michael, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Anytime. Take care, Bob. Thank you so much, Michael. All right. Coming up, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show, here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
1: Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees.
0: Harden show, and now here's your host Bob
1: Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. I proudly serve on the board. Terrific organization, and they do some terrific things. Among them, uh, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative, and you can find out more by visiting the website thefga.org, thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Larry Bell, professor, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture and author of many books. His latest, co-written by Buzz Aldrin, Beyond Flagpoles and Footprints, Pioneering uh, the Space Frontier. Have you seen Denise D'Souza's uh, new movie? It's called 2,000 Mules. Well, it's going to be a blockbuster, and I believe it's available today. He didn't take any chances with his new documentary, 2,000 Mules. The conservative filmmaker leaned on free-speech-friendly platforms like Rumble and Locals.com to ensure his provocative challenge to election integrity got a fair hearing. 2,000 Mules may be the most convincing and explosive evidence the 2020 presidential election wasn't as fair as we've been told, as we've essentially keeping our boat away from the reef of censorship, D'Souza says of his big tech strategy. It's a high price." And this is the most censored topic in America. I don't know if you've seen D'Souza's previous movies, but they are fantastic. 2000 Mules enjoys a limited theatrical release. It's going to start it started on May the 2nd before a virtual premiere uh, tomorrow. It's actually tomorrow, May the 7th. You won't find much about it, though, in via D'Souza's Facebook, Twitter, or YouTube channels, despite his large followings on each. I didn't put the trailer up on Facebook, he says. If I do, it'll be banned. Have you seen the trailer? It's really interesting. He's hopeful, however, that the 2000 mules can thrive in a new freer speech environment on Twitter following its release purchased by Elon Musk, his recent purchase by Elon Musk, calling uh, Musk's Twitter a liberated platform evoking Eastern European after the fall of Berlin Wall. He says, I feel the excitement. D'Souza knew any statement, let alone an entire film questioning the security of the 2020 presidential election, triggers big tech censors. Even former President Donald Trump's chat touching on the subject with the Nelk Boys earned a YouTube ban. D'Souza's film leans heavily on geotracking data from cell phones and uh, videos collected by security cameras to show hundreds of mules... Who stuffed ballot boxes at odd hours of the day in critical swing states during the 2020 election cycle. These quote unquote mules traveled from box to box between visits to nonprofit groups in their elaborate journeys in the weeks approaching election day. D'Souza's film doesn't share the names of these groups for legal reasons, he says. Some mules came from states outside the polling places in question. Others visited more than ten different nonprofits before their work days were done. They often uh, toiled late at night and took pictures of themselves dropping off fistfuls of ballots, possibly to prove to their benefactors they performed the task in question. Others are shown wearing blue surgical-style gloves while dropping off the envelopes, only to dispose of them seconds later. The Houston-based True to the Vote, which formed the 20,000 2009, supplied geotracking data for D'Souza's film. The organization hopes to restore confidence in the U.S. election system, which took a sizable hit of course, uh, after the fallout from Joe Biden's 2020 victory. Susan knows that many Americans, especially conservatives, want to move past questions of 2020 election and that all that chicanery. He can't help but wonder if the mules in question cost President Trump a second term. The ramifications are considerable. If its evidence holds up, we're in uncharted territory, he says, citing accusations of voter fraud and John F. Kennedy's victory over Richard Nixon In 1960, as child's play by comparison, D'Souza's films are often like conservative op-eds, brimming with rough and tumble charges against the left. 2,000 Mules is different, taking an investigative approach to the subject. The real-world consequences of this evidentiary trove detailed in the film are unfolding in Georgia, among other swing states, where the state elections board and Secretary of State Raffensperger are investigating potential illegal ballot trafficking during the 2020 election cycle. Biden won there 49.5% to 49.3% in 2020, defeating Trump by fewer than 12,000 votes in the long, uh, reliably red peach state. Uh, D'Souza brings a curious uh, baggage to 2,000 mules. Not only are his previous films, Death of a Nation, Trump Card, Brimming with Conservative Sharp Elbows... President Trump and pardoned D'Souza in 2018 for illegally contributing $20,000 to a New York politician. He wants audiences to put aside his, ideological, his ideology. It wouldn't matter if it were extreme left-winger or moderate, he says. The proof is that the pudding is in the pudding and in the tasting. The filmmaker admits many questions remain unanswered about 2,000 mules. How do we know the mules were paid? Who organized this, he said, adding that he wasn't able to show money-changing hands, but that doesn't mean the mules weren't paid for their efforts. He is also at a loss to explain why the alleged tainted ballots didn't fuel a blue Democratic wave in 2020. Perhaps, he muses, people weren't comfortable with election chicanery, but did the bare minimum required to keep the fascist Trump out of the White House, quote-unquote fascist. President Trump has seen 2,000 mules and gave it his approval, but most Republicans in D.C. haven't screened the movie yet. I wouldn't be surprised if they didn't hear about it very soon, uh, D'Souza said. Uh, Following its premieres, the filmmaker says the movie will shift its to digital downloads via uh, SalemNow.com and Locals.com, the latter a free speech hub created by pundit and author Dave Rubin. D'Souza thinks his critics will cling to the notion that the votes stuffed into those ballot boxes were ultimately legal, even if the methods behind them look shady. They're not going to be able to shut it down, he says of his critics. It's unstoppable. D'Souza predicts one significant fallout from 20, or 2,000 mules. The canard that the 2020 presidential election between Joe Biden and Donald Trump was the most secure election in history will start falling by the wayside if it already hasn't, he said. And it certainly will. Unbelievable stuff. Uh, I hope you will see 2,000 mules. I plan on seeing it tomorrow. I think there may be a cost involved, but irrespective, whatever it is, D'Souza's done a great job for us and a great service. All this, is, uh, this revelation has moved too slowly, in my opinion, but that's just the way it is. If you watch what's happening at various state houses, Democrats are trying to obstruct the revelation of this information, and uh, certainly it's going to get to court sooner or later, probably years after the uh, fact of the steal, but... Uh, all this evidence will come out. 2,000 mules will contribute to that. All right, coming up, Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture, that and more, right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Back to the Bob Harton show. And now, here's your host, Bob Harton.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty personal responsibility of limited government and the rule of law we have with us professor larry bell endowed professor at the university of houston in space architecture he's also the author of many books his latest beyond flagpoles and footprints pioneering the space frontier a book that he wrote co-authored with buzz aldrin he also writes his column for newsmax it's called on point newsmax.com professor thank you so much for joining us here in the show
4: Bob, it's always a pleasure. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Professor. So your latest column, uh, Department of Homeland Security Border Disinformation Plan, More of Agencies Insanity. Boy, do I agree with that. Maybe you could tell us about it.
4: Yeah, I think to say these are interesting times would be uh, somewhat (laughs) of an understatement. I think we're watching uh, slow-motion train wrecks uh, on many tracks.
2: Of
4: course, this is one of them where... you know, the country is already concerned, you know, that half the country is very concerned about censorship and disinformation, you know, the attacks on Twitter and so on. So on one hand, you got Rocketman, you got uh, Elon Musk uh, 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 disrupting their, you know, their their Twitter uh, programs and so on, and that's, that's scaring them you know, in a lot of ways. And then at the same time, you got uh, Majorca's, you know, the head of uh, Homeland Security, establishing this uh, so-called disinformation uh, agency or, or uh, panel. Uh,
1: Ministry. And
4: he, <laughs> and he, puts, a, he puts this uh, individual, uh, uh, Nina uh, Jankowicz, who has a long history of, of really being a, a, a Trump-hater and so on, uh, Someone who's uh, uh, really was one of the ones that was uh, really t- leading the charge on discrediting the validity of Hunter's laptop and so on, making saying that this is just a conspiracy theory and so on. So he points her to head the thing, <laughs> and the, and the, and the, and uh, both sides are going berserk. You know, the you know the conservatives are, are saying, you know, this is. Really Orwellian, you know, stayed out of nineteen eighty four. Uh, I think it's more out of Animal Farm, maybe. Right. But uh, it's uh, you know this this uh, big brother uh, notion that you know that they have essentially a Ministry of Truth being created in an agency that can't can't and won't control the southern border, and then at the same time we've got Elon Musk who. Who disrupts the you know the Twitter people and and the notion that we you know, we should we should actually have free speech? What a terrifying thought that is! So, so it's, it's kind of fun to watch all this stuff going on. It fun. It You have to have a sense of humor.
1: Yeah, uh, you have to have a sense of humor for sure. And uh, your column certainly brings that to light. Uh, to me, uh, to, how tone deaf can you possibly be for this guy to make the recommendation to have a Ministry of Truth? <laughs> I mean, it's so offensive. It's, it's almost, it makes you wonder if you're reading the Babylon Bee and not reading the news, my goodness.
4: Well, that sense of, self, that lack of self-awareness is true in all of the programs where, you know, we've got, we got inflation, so let's spend a lot more money and, and, and that we don't have, and, and let's, uh, let's defund the police and, and, uh, let's, let's have prosecutors that don't prosecute, uh, crimes and, and, uh. And let's let's uh, let's open up the borders and let's let's transport people in the middle of the night to your you know neighborhood near you. Uh, and let's uh, on one hand uh, on, uh, we'll get rid of uh, Title Forty Two because uh, uh, there's no more COVID crisis. We don't have to worry about these millions of people coming across the border. Oh, by the by the same time, let's let's have masking on airlines and let's. <laughs> you know, let's let's give vaccines to to four year olds, even though we don't have any tests on them. So, so you know it's it's berserk. And you'd think you'd think that they would recalibrate and say, "Well, wait a minute, this is this Bernie Sanders stuff that we signed on to in order to get you know to get the empty suit into the office uh, isn't really working out so good. Maybe we ought to back off a little bit and not throw more fuel in the fire, but." You know, I think I think the, the real blessing in this is that you know Marxists usually are smart. You know, they usually have played long ball. But these these people don't even know where the ball is.
1: <laughs> it's true. And Gina McCarthy came out and said that we ought to have uh, automobiles need to have uh, forty nine miles per, per gallon. <laughs> and it's you know it's so tone deaf, professor. I just don't understand how these people can say with a straight face what they're saying and uh, expect the American people to buy it. Uh, you know, well,
4: wouldn't you think? Wouldn't you think that they love Elon Musk because you know, here's the guy that got all his government money, and I, I love Elon because you know, he's, he's such a he's such a good promoter, um, you know, and 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 he gets a lot of government money, but at least he does something with it. You know, he can land a rocket on its butt, you know, and re, you know, reuse it for a first stage, and that's that's pretty damn cool. I'm a I'm a space guy, and 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 but you'd think you know he's going to cover the. You know, you got Mary Poppins. This thing, you know, Nina Jenkins is singing Mary Poppins. rendition of that, yeah. And you know, and and I think the sound of music. You know, and we think of here we have, here we have. Uh, wouldn't, wouldn't you think the the left would love the fact that we're going to cover those wonderful hills with windmills and use <laughs> of the windmills and and charging stations for electric vehicles? And I mean, what's not to love about that? And yet they're they're worried that Elon Musk is. He's, he's too rich, and he's buying up Twitter. Oh,
1: what a disaster. <laughs> it's so true. And this latest ploy with the Roe v. Wade and the release of this trial opinion, uh, which it's not even final, but uh, yeah, I think this is actually going to be a real dud, too. It's going to be because people just are, are just not impressed at all. It's almost like crying wolf, isn't it? I mean, you, you, there's a... Well, suppo- they need a distraction. They, they seriously need a
4: distraction. And... and uh, Wall Street Journal came out this morning, and I'm a huge fan of Kimberly Strassel. I mean, she's yeah. she just one of the best, and she's got a she's got a wonderful article in that. How, you know, again, again, they got nothing else, and so now they're gonna they're gonna play this. But you know, the the thing is, people, the country's already dug in on this. And, and first of all, they've been misrepresenting what role vis, versus weight you know, early r- Wade means. It simply means that it's a state issue and and the states make these decisions so it doesn't it doesn't eliminate abortion and so on let the states set their standards and and uh so so it's you know there's one there's a lot of misinformation and and like uh Kimberly points out you know well also half the country is just about split 50 50 in terms of how people feel about abortion so and I think the ones that are dug in are already dug in you know you have a you know, the coast versus the flower states and you have all this other stuff. And and so they're going to use this again to double down and they're going to use it to try to pack the court yeah. and they're going to use it to, you know, to, to try again, do another push in the filibuster. And they don't realize every time they do that, they're simply, they're, they're simply uh, providing more red meat and the distraction won't work. And, and uh, I think they're going into the midterms now with, with uh, total, you know, totally frenetic, and and uh, again, it's 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 kind of fun to watch. When I say that, I, be, I I can say that with some leisure because I think, I think finally the country's waking
1: up. Uh, I agree. It's uh, experiencing Schadenfreude. <laughs> I think that's what what's happening right now. They're dying uh, from a death of a, a thousand cuts, all self-inflicted. It's just. Uh, I'm not going to call it amusing, but it's It's kind of sad, actually, because they should be a party that's representing an important constituent and cohort of our population. But uh, they are drying up and shriveling up. It's just unbelievable. Professor Larry Bell, again, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture. Uh, take a look at his new book. Uh, he wrote with uh, Buzz Aldrin, Beyond Flagpoles and Footprints, Pioneering the Space Frontier. Professor, I always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us.
4: Well, it was always fun. Thank you so much.
1: My pleasure, indeed. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, on Monday, we're going to visit with uh, Mark Schulman, founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. Larry Reed is the president emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. And Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau chief and author, his latest book, No Problem, will be joining us as well. I hope you make it a great day and weekend on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. <laughs>